the Bible says in verse 19, and this is a testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem. By the way, when John uses the word Jews in his gospel account, for the most part, we're talking about the religious leadership, not about all Jewish people. So um, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. (laughs) Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. I love the guy, right? I mean, just a man, a few words. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Uh, They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Now, I'm not going to explain to you uh, what they meant when they said the prophet, but just for now... Uh, This was a prophet, Deuteronomy chapter 18, that Moses said would come. That refers specifically to Messiah. We'll talk about that in depth another time. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose Birkenstock, in the original language, I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. John was older in age. Physically, Jesus was eternal. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father, we pray. Bless this time in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, you know, from time to time as a a pastor or a preacher, you know, we'll be talking about a particular truth in the scripture and, and, you know, maybe one that you really resonate with, uh, maybe one you've discovered in your own personal experience and encounter with God. Um, And as I'm preaching, there are times where I'll say to you, can I get a witness? And and when when I say, hey, can I get a witness? You guys say what? Yeah, this section right here knows what to say. <laughs> this section has no clue what's going on over here. No, I'm just kidding. When I say, can I get a witness, you guys say. Yeah, yeah and that's like, you know what that means, right? I mean, it means, so be it. It means an affirmation of truth. You're like, you're, you're saying, hey, I am, I am personally staking my, my name, my life, and my reputation on what you just said because it is true it is objective truth, and it is also experientially true for me. That's what a witness is. That is what a witness declares. If you're in the court of law, and you're a witness, and you're going up to the witness stand, before you take a seat, you know there's, there's someone who comes with the Bible. You place your right hand on the Bible, and, and they say, do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? And you say, what do you say? You say, I do, I I will, that's my intention. Everything that I'm gonna say as a witness is the truth. And, (laughs) it's okay, you're all right. It's a fun moment. So, so, that's what John was. John was. John was a witness. John was somebody who was declaring that Jesus was the Son of God. Um, and it wasn't just the, the, the piece of objective truth. John was declaring it from his own personal experience as well. Um, John wasn't just a witness. John was the witness. I don't know if you know this about John. Now, some of you are thinking, well, John wrote the gospel account, and he also was the guy who was baptizing. And no, that's not true. There are two different Johns. John the apostle wrote the gospel account that we're reading, and the one who was baptizing by the water was John uh, often called John the Baptist, 
right? Like not Baptist in the sense of Southern Baptist Convention, SBC. Like you're not, man, I didn't know the Baptists had been around so long. That's amazing. Uh, And some of your translations call him John the Baptist. Some call him John the Baptizer. We're going to use the the phrase baptizer um, just so like it's not confusing you. We're not talking about a denomination. He was the one that was foretold. He was the one that had been purposed by God to come. He was the prophet that would precede the Messiah. God had laid this out in the Old Testament. In fact, God had given the children of Israel a series of things for them to look for that would precede the coming of Messiah or that would be a a piece of what his coming would look like. I'm talking about the early phase of his coming. We're not getting to the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that were laid out in the Old Testament um, that he would perform. So for instance, uh, if you were an Israelite, you'd been raised up in your Jewish home, uh, you, were, you were taught to expect the coming of the Messiah in your generation. In fact, it was your hope. You would pray that you would be the generation that would see Messiah, and you would know that, that at the coming of Messiah, Israel nationally would lose the right to execute capital punishment. That was laid out in the end of Genesis chapter 50. This was one of the prophecies that was prayed over Uh, the sons of Jacob, that when Shiloh would come, the right to execute capital punishment would have been taken away. And of course, we know that uh, in the Roman occupation, the Jewish people had no capacity to to, uh, execute capital punishment on anybody. This was why the religious leaders had to deliver Jesus to Pilate for him to be put to death. They knew that Messiah would come from the line of Judah. They knew that Messiah would be of the house of David. They knew that he would be uh, from Bethlehem. They also knew that there would be a spiritual darkness that would cover the land of Galilee. And then maybe even more than all those things, they knew that someone would come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah and who would kind of set things right, set things straight, Prepare the way of the king. Like in in old times, when there were monarchies, this was what you would expect. When there was a potentate, a person of power, when there was a king that would be coming through the land, there would be a herald that would proceed. And the herald would go through the village or the town, and he would say, hey, hey, y'all, saddle up. Like, clean it up. Clean it up. Uh, Prepare yourself. Make, Make the road smooth, right? Fill in, call Las Vegas paving, and fill in the potholes, Put the cones out on every street like they do. No. (laughs) Fill the potholes. Take those high places and level them out. Clean things up. Prepare yourself. Line the the sides of the street because the king is coming through. And you you want to be prepared as a community when the king comes through. You want it to be smooth sailing, ready reception, hearts prepared to receive. And that's really what... John was going to do. He was coming to prepare the people. He was also coming to identify who the Messiah was. And this was what the Jewish people believed would happen. Now, there's a a lot that we could say today about John the Baptist and his ministry, or John the Baptizer. And and these are all of the things, I think, that that we could consider today. We don't have the time to do this, uh, but John the Baptizer's life Number one, had enormous prophetic significance. Number two, massive messianic importance. And number three, it is a powerful prototype for the Christian witness. Like there's a lot to this man's life. Number one, huge prophetic significance. There were prophecies that were laid out in Malachi chapter three, Malachi chapter four, Isaiah chapter 40. This, this individual was considered to be, this was what Jesus said himself, reflecting on John's life, the greatest of all the prophets. While all the other prophets were used by God to declare the word of God and to demonstrate the power of God, John really had the place of preeminence because he was the one that was identifying the word of God, which was, you know, which was a, a, a huge privilege and responsibility. 
And in that, that's where the messianic importance is. He was the one, and we saw that as we read these verses, he was the one who identified Messiah. But, you know, maybe you've never really thought about this. He also, like I said, provides for us a powerful prototype for how we ought to be witnesses for Christ. The, the word that I believe that God has for us today is this. God says to this church, he says to your life, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness? And, and when I say that God is saying that to us, I, I do mean more. I do mean more than, you know, and let me tell you as a pastor, as a preacher, I love those moments when you are verbally declaring an affirmation of God's truth. I love it. I think it's great. I love it when it's unsolicited. It's much better when it's unsolicited. As opposed to me, I like drop a, a piece of gospel truth and I'm just expecting because you know you're all fired up and anticipating on the inside and resonating, right? When, when truth is laid out, you're like, man, that's right. Amen. Amen, pastor. Can I say it out loud? Yes, you can say it out loud. You can say it out loud. You can affirm it out loud. Church is always better when it's not super quiet. Um, and it's better, it's better when it's like that than I'm like having to pull it out of you. Like, hello, is anybody here? Is anybody awake? Did you just get that? I just said Jesus is God and you're wondering what you're going to have for lunch? Come on now. Come on now. But when I say witness, I'm talking, that's good. That is good. And we collectively should be so stoked and excited about the truth of God's word in an objective sense and in a personal sense. But I'm not just talking, or I'm not reducing being a witness to that. And I have to say a couple of things about being a witness because, I, you know, I think we've muddied the waters a little bit. I think sometimes, you know, when I say, hey, God is saying to us today, can I get a witness? Sometimes we're like, oh, okay, you know, I know, I know the four spiritual laws, right? I know the Romans road. Sometimes we reduce being a witness to that. Like, yeah, I've memorized, I have tracks, and, and I've got them in my, 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 my fanny, I better finish that one. I got them in my, my fanny bag or my whatever, you know, my, my man pouch, my man pouch. Uh, you know, when we think of witness, we think of an evangelistic hit and run. You know, we've got, we've got a minute, we've got 30 seconds, or, you know, we're not really comfortable, so we just drop a gospel bomb. You know, hey, by the way, did you know you're going to hell without Jesus? You better believe. Peace. You know? <laughs> Selfie, peace. And then, you know, you post, you're like, man, I just totally laid out the witness for Christ today, man. And it's like, you just ran someone over, right? That's what you just did. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not against methods or methodology that help us really convey God's truth in a biblical way that identifies the key issues that we need to wrestle with as human beings, I'm not certainly saying that there are times where it's like, man, we got five seconds or 10 seconds or 20 seconds, and so we're praying, God, give me a word. And so it's, you know, it is kind of a, a hit and run. But, but I think that being a witness is much more than that. I think that being a witness is much more than that. And I think that we can learn a couple of things from John's life that will encourage us today because the truth is this, like we're gonna get to the end of the service. Let me just tell you where we're going. We're gonna get to the end of the service and there's gonna be an opportunity for us to say, you know what, I, I want to respond to the call today. I wanna to respond to the call. I don't wanna just sit in a seat. I don't wanna just fill a spot. I don't wanna have a, a facade of spirituality while I'm rotting away on the inside. I don't want to be able to tell everybody else what they ought to do, and then I myself don't even do it, right? Don't even do it. We've got a lot of people in church who can direct and guide everybody else, but they don't even themselves follow God's truth. And I'm just saying, like, if we're going to be real before God, there's an opportunity today to, to, to make a stand and say, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready, and I want that in my life. John had, number one, if you're taking notes in your encounter journal today, John had a God-given calling. John had, make no mistake about it, John had a God-given calling. Now, John the Apostle, the author to this gospel account, does not uh, communicate these truths to us, the, the, the historical background. But let me just say, John had a godly mother and father. His mom's name was Elizabeth. His father's name was Zechariah, and they really had centered their lives around the Lord. 
They were older, advanced in age. They wanted to have a child. They were never able to have a child. And so, you know, God worked a miracle in their lives. Like God worked a miracle in Abraham and Sarah's life. And Elizabeth became pregnant. You know, John grew up in a a pastor's house. He was a PK. He was a pastor's kid. I mean, more appropriately, historical context, he was a PK. He was a priest's kid. And so his dad was a, a Levitical priest. His dad served in the institutional religious system. His dad served in the temple. Um, His dad, we don't have time to talk about this today, was a person who struggled with unbelief. And there's a whole story about what happened uh, with Zechariah and his unbelief and the naming of John. But back in Luke chapter one, verse 41, there's this really, really strange event that happens. And maybe you've read this uh, particular story and you've thought, man, what was that all about? But do you guys remember the time where Elizabeth, she's pregnant with John and her cousin Mary comes to visit her. And her cousin Mary, who's the mother of Jesus, is pregnant with child as well, but her baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So she is visiting. Probably she's there to live out the remainder of her pregnancy so she can do it without being an object of scorn. But the minute that Mary approaches Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby that was in her leapt in her womb, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that, I mean, we, our kids moved a lot in the womb. I don't know what leaping in the womb was, but it was pretty significant, right? I mean, so, so the baby uh, upon, you know, the other baby in the womb coming into proximity, leaps in the womb. Elizabeth prophesies over Mary by the Holy Spirit. And then Mary responds with a Magnificat, which is probably um, fueled by the power of the Spirit as well. I've thought a lot of times, man, what, was, what is that story all about with the baby leaping in the womb? And I think it's this. I think God was acknowledging that, that there was a God-given ability given to John for him to be able to recognize Messiah. Like from from the womb, from the womb. God is saying, this this calling that I have on your life, this, this, this unique work that I have for you to do, with the calling comes the capacity. And this isn't something that you just sorted out and figured out down the road, no, Um, It it has been evidence that this was something I placed within you before you even breached the womb. Before you breached the womb. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? Hey, there was a predetermined plan for John. There was a predetermined calling on John's life. And the same is true for you. Every true Christian has a real calling from God. Every true Christian has a real calling from God. I talked to you last week about God's divine plan, and we were looking at verses 12 and 13. We're just remarking about how awesome it is to be a child of God. To those he gave the right, those who believe in his name, to be called sons or daughters of God. And then I referenced Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, and I talked about how the plan of God for us to be adopted into his family was something that he knew before time ever was. Before time ever was, before you were ever conceived, before you were present in the womb, there was a predetermined plan of God. God saw what he was going to do, that he would bring you into his family. You say, well, pastor, does that mean that there's no free moral agency? Does that mean that there's no, there's no responsibility that I have to choose? No, I'm not saying that. Those two things operate simultaneously in a way that is a mystery. I don't have the ability to, or the time to talk about that today. But what I am saying to you is that just as the father knew before you were born that he was going to bring you into his family so also he knew that he was going to place a calling upon your life. So also did he know that he was going to place a calling on your life. I just want to say to you today, there are times where it's like, we get so excited about the adopted part. We get so excited about being a child of God part. And we're so ready to receive that. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm so excited. He knew me before the world ever was. And he had chosen me. He was planning on doing this work in my life. Well, what's true for the adoption is also true for the calling. Every one of us 
Every single one of us today has a calling of God upon our life. Billy Graham said it like, I'll pause for that. Billy Graham said it like this. He said, God makes three calls on our life. First, he calls us to the person of Jesus Christ. Second, he calls us to consecration, which is living our lives for Jesus Christ. And then third, he said, he calls us, the third calling is that he calls us to serve Jesus Christ. And I, with all due respect, would like to replace the word serve, and I think he means this. I'd like to replace the word serve with the word witness. We've been called to be a witness for Christ. When I use the word witness, I'm not talking about the watered-down, weak, and meager definition of the word. I'm talking about a robust view of what it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And so so you say, "Well, well, what do you mean? How would you define that? This is our working operation for witness for the rest of this study. By the way, we have 32 studies left, so it'll come up again. But here we go. Being a witness is more than just stating facts about Jesus. It's about radiating the king and his kingdom through your life. So being a witness is more than just stating facts about Jesus. It's more than just an evangelistic hit and run. It's more than you just doing your duty and talking about the gospel. It is about radiating the king and the kingdom through your life. So notice, I didn't say reflect, I said radiate. I didn't say reflect, I said radiate. I'm gonna connect being a witness to being an image bearer next week. And sometimes when we talk about an image bearer, we talk about, well, we're reflecting. We're reflecting the image of God. We're like angled mirrors, a lot of theologians say. And so he shines against our lives, and then we reflect that. And I think it's a a word, I've just been pondering this, I think that word falls short. I think it falls short. When it comes to your witness, you are more like the sun than you are the moon, right? Because the moon is lifeless, the moon is cold, the moon has a dark side, the moon waxes and wanes, and all it does on that dead surface is it reflects the sun, whereas the sun has all of these nuclear reactions happening at the core Uh, elements are fusing with one another, and from what's happening inside, from what's happening at the core, there is a light that emanates. And I think that that typifies, it expresses, it metaphorically speaks of what your life is. It's not just that you are an angled mirror reflecting God when he shines on you. No, he shines from the inside out. You shine, you ought to be shining for the Lord. What ought to be emanating from you is the image of the king because he is molding you and shaping you into his divine image. What ought to be pouring out from you are kingdom qualities because he pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of the son who is the object of the father's love. And this is is what we bring. This is what we bring into the world. As an employer, you are shining, you're light, you are reflecting, or excuse me, you're radiating the king, you're radiating his kingdom. As a business owner, as, an, as maybe an engineer, as somebody who works in one of the hotels, as a parent, as a friend, Jesus said it like this, so let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, So let me just say, all right, because you got a lot of decisions to make. What are you going to do with your life? Where are you going to go to school? How are you going to retire? How do you want your family to look? Lots of decisions. What sits above all of that is a divine calling that you have as a child of God, and that is to be a witness, right? Your life is radiating the king, and your life is radiating his kingdom. And so is that happening? Is that happening in every sphere? Let me just like roll back a little bit. When you're closing... When you're closing the sale, right, when you're working with your employees, when you're making decisions about your family, is your goal in all of that to be a robust witness for Christ so that people can see him living in and through your life? The second thing is that it took courage for him to fulfill his calling. The second thing is courage was required for the calling. Now, you guys know John was a maverick. Um, he was a maverick. He was, uh, I'm not talking about the Top Gun movie. I'm talking about, I'm, t- I'm not talking about Tom Cruise today. I'm talking about John the Baptizer. And he was different. 
He was not different just to be different, which is what a lot of people in church leadership like to do today, because if you can just be different, you'll draw a crowd. But he wasn't just different for the sake of being different. He was different because God was doing something different. God was doing something different. Let me give you the man's profile. He was a wild man. He was a desert dweller. He was clothed in camel's hair, and his clothes were held, held on by a leather belt. He had little locust legs and honey dripping from his beard, all right? I mean, if you would have walked down the street and you would have seen John coming, you would have thought, man, I don't have any money on me, and I don't want this guy to ask, and he looks a little crazy anyway, and I don't want to get stabbed, and so I'm going to cross over to the other side. I mean, he was just, man, he was a sight to behold, And God was doing something different in John's life because what God was going to do required a new wineskin. It required a new wineskin. You know, one thing that really helped me understand John the baptizer was connecting him to the Levitical line that he was from and the fact that really the path for John was that he would have been a Levitical priest like his dad. This would have been the expectation. This would have been the plan. I mean, I wonder if sometimes Zachariah's like, man, I don't know what the problem is with my boy. He's out in the desert again, man. He won't come home. And he comes back, he's got like insect legs all over him. There's a difference of opinion on what locusts really means. But for the sake of getting you guys to laugh today, we're sticking with insects, okay? And I think he probably was wondering, man, why isn't he part of this institutional thing? And you know what? God had to take him out God had to divert him out of the institution because the new thing required a new wineskin. The new outpouring of wine was not going to be able to be contained by the old institutional approach that the children of Israel had. And so what did John do? John John was a pioneer. And like all pioneers, he was attacked by the status quo. The, 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 the Levites and the priests, some of these people whom probably knew John, rolled in and they, they, they said, who are you? And I think you could probably uh, rightly translate that in a colloquial way, like who do you think you are? Who do you, like dude, who do you think you are? You know, we're gonna get to this in a minute. Like we haven't given you permission and I, I love the courage that John has even when the religious leader, the powers that be seemed to be, more than seemed to be, they were aligned against him. They were aligned against him. He was a man who had courage. Be courageous about your calling, all right? Be cur- you know, so right now you're sitting here and you've already dealt with the fact that you have a calling because it was, if your child of God is given to you, you can't escape that. Now I'm saying to you, be courageous, be courageous. You know, God says to us today, hey, I'm looking for a witness. Can I get a witness? What does that mean? That means that we are going to have to be faithful to the call of God and press through the fear when it comes. Because the fear will come. God is going to call you to do things, to take steps of faith that are way beyond yourself. And you know there's going to be that natural, and we're talking about speaking the name of Jesus over all fear and anxiety. All fear and anxiety. When you walk by faith, you're going to be confronted with fear and anxiety. And the devil is going to be there all the time saying, dude, who do you think you are? Like, really? Really? You're going to, you're going to fall flat on your face. You are totally going to fail. Everyone's going to mock you. Everyone's going to laugh at you. And you know what? If you've had that happen to you and you've been stirred to fear, I just want to say you're not alone. Some of the greatest I mean, for me, for sure, I fight through fear and anxiety when I'm called to take a crazy step of faith. The devil is right there all the time. And the devil was right there with with Joshua. You remember Joshua was raised up to take over for Moses to bring people into the promised land. And God said to him, hey, hey, Josh, my translation, hey, Josh, be not afraid or dismayed for the Lord your God, Joshua 1.9, is with you wherever you go. All right, I know... I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid. I know this seems big. I know that it's like, it's too much for you because that's what I do. I put you in situations that are too much so you trust in me. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be discouraged. Why? Because I'm with you. Listen, Paul rolled into Corinth. I just want you to think about this context. He'd planted churches. He'd met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I mean, there were powerful things happening in John's life, or excuse me, Paul's life. He rolls into Corinth, and this is his own autobiography. He's like, man, I was scared senseless. I was so scared. I didn't even want to speak. You know, he said to the church at Corinth, you know what I was like when I was with you. I was with you in fear and trembling. My physical body was shaking. It was shaking. And you know what he did? He came to me. The Lord came to me and said, Paul, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I have many people in this city. And so today, you might be taking a step of faith and you feel like you're all alone. You know, Isaiah chapter 40 in one translation puts it like this, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And John was that one voice, but I'll tell you, John was not alone, God was with him. When you take a step of faith, you need to remember it's great to be surrounded by the body of Christ and fellow believers, but it's even more important for you to remember that God is present with you and God will never let you down. The third, thing, the third thing that I see here with John's life is that his confidence was in God, not himself. His confidence was in God, not himself. So the Levites and the priests come from the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders at the time, and they say to him, hey, dude, you know, you never applied for a permit to baptize people in the Jordan River. You never came to us. Like, you never got our okay. And so who do you think you are? You really have no right to do this. And so they go through the list, right? And this is not a, hey, we're just really curious. We like what you're doing. We think, hey, God's probably in it. So are you Elijah? Are, are you the prophet? That wasn't it. It was derogatory. It was like, no, you know you're not these things, so you really don't have a right to do this. And they question him. And he answers them, like, so, so what is, by whose authority do you do this? This is what he does. He goes straight to the word of God, straight to the word of God. As Isaiah said, right, the foundation for his ministry, the confidence that he had did not come from himself. It came from the fact that he knew he was doing the will of God. And God had disclosed that to him, right? God had, we're going to get to that piece in just a second, but God had disclosed it to him. You know, John is out, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Number one, we know he was baptizing people in the Jordan to prepare them, like I said. Hearts had to be prepared. Messiah is present. The second thing is alignment, right? You've been sideways, you've been off the rails, and the Messiah is present, baptism of repentance. And so, you know, get yourself back on the rail. Stop going sideways with your life. Prepare your heart. He is about to be revealed. And the third thing is identification. This is what he says himself. He says, the one who sent me to baptize, verse 33, the one who sent me to baptize said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit of God descending and remaining, the one whom you see the Spirit of God like a dove descending and remaining, that is, he is the one. He is the Messiah. Now, I just want you to think about the way that John puts that, because I think it's powerful. You know, in verse 33, he's disclosing this communion that he had with the Father, right? He didn't just start, you know, baptizing people because that's just the way uh, it always worked out for a prophet. He didn't come up with the idea of the Spirit descending upon Messiah and identifying him. No, this was something that God had revealed in a time of communion with John, Listen, in other words, John had been listening to the Father. John was paying attention to what the Father had to say. John was taking his cues from the Father. John was being led and directed by God. And the next thing I want to encourage you with is this. Listen to God so that your confidence can come from him and not yourself. Look, when you take a step of faith and someone comes and says, well, who do you think you are? Why are you doing this? You never got approval from me. You want to be able to say, dude, I'm just, being, I'm just being obedient. I'm just being obedient. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. You say, pastor, I don't know what God has called me to do. Well, you better spend some more time with him, right? You better spend some more time with him. If that is a big blank in your life, 
it probably means that you have not put yourself in a position to be hearing directly from the Father. You know, someone said this on our team, and I think it's so true. The main responsibility of the prophet, do you know what the main responsibility of a prophet is? What is it? Okay, so everyone would say to speak God's word, but someone on the team said this, the main responsibility of the prophet is not to declare God's word, it is to hear God's voice. It's to hear God's voice. How can you declare what God has to say if you're not listening to him yourself? Right? So put yourself in the best position possible to hear from God. What does that mean? You need to be in communion with your heavenly father. That means that you're never too busy to open the book and spend time in prayer. And when you pray, it's not just a, it's not just a download. It's not just a dump. It's not just to get it off your chest. All that's good. Don't get me wrong. It is also pausing and being present with the Father in moments of silence and solitude, so he has time to speak. You know, have you ever talked to somebody where it's like, you can't get a word in? You know those people? It's just like, you know, nonstop. And you're like, and it's just, there's no space. And, and I wonder, you know, look, this is from, this is, I, I'm for sure saying this from my point of view, but I wonder if the Father's like, you know, he's trying to like get a word in. He's just trying to get a word in. And, and you know, you're just, you got a, con- a set amount of time. You've got 30 seconds or 15 minutes or 30 minutes, and you're like just a machine gun, you know, unloading all of your stuff. And God never has a minute to say, hey, you know, I mean, can I, can I say something to you? Can you give me some space? By the way, when we say that, let's remember that all space is God's space. We don't just give God space. It, it all belongs to him anyway. But you have to set up enough time in your life to hear from your father. You need to be with God's people because sometimes the father will give a prophetic word to one of his sons and daughters to give to you. That's what the father will do. But if you're not hanging out with God's people, if you're not developing those meaningful, deep relationships and collectively spending time with him and not just like using your social media to, to bash the next Christian who hasn't fulfilled the expectations of the church, right? Which is what happens all the time. But you're spending time in the presence of the Father. Guess what? He's going to surprise you. He's going to bless you. Someone's going to say, you know what? This, I'm not used to this, but I just got to say, I've got a word for you. God had a word through Carol today. God had a word through Carol today. I mean, and I, and I trust her and I know her and the word was for us. And so, listen, when someone comes to you and says, I have a word for you, you say, Give, share the word with me. Share that word with me. And then, then what I'm going to do, I'm going to take it to the Father because I've got a personal relationship with the Father. And if this is really from him, he'll confirm it in my heart. He'll confirm it in my heart. <clears throat> Awaken Tijuana, by the way, was like this. You know, we had gone through the process of uh, Awaken Natal in Brazil and COVID hit, and it was like, God, what do you have next for us? What, what are we supposed to do, you know? I mean, it's not like we just pick and choose based on our own arbitrary desires, and we're in prayer as a team, and in prayer, God crystallized it, that it was Tijuana, and we all knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. Hey, the final thing today is this. God authenticated John's calling with spirit power. God authenticated John's calling with spirit power. So John does not include the voice that comes from heaven in this incident, incident. You remember when Jesus is baptized and as he came up from those baptismal waters, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, John did not include that. What he did include, though, was the witness of the Spirit, the God-given sign, the identification. And this is where John ends up getting to just affirming and identifying Messiah as the Son of God, which ultimately is John's purpose for writing this gospel account anyway. And so why does he focus in on this? Because it lines up with his overall goal. When the Spirit descended upon Jesus as a dove, he was identified not only as Messiah, but also identified as the Son of God. In that moment, he was empowered by the third person of the triune Godhead. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 Speaking of this moment, the Bible says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. 
And then the third thing, remember, John himself has said, hey, I baptize with water. There's one standing among you who baptizes with, a, with power and fire, talking about the Holy Spirit. And so the empowering, this is the final piece today, the empowering for the fulfillment of your calling. The empowering for the fulfillment of your calling comes from God. It comes from God. John's got no framework. No one's done what he is doing before. He's just being obedient. And as he steps forward in faith, in faith, taking steps of obedience, he is believing that God is going to come through on his behalf. Like there are times, I'm saying, when, when you're going to be in a spot as you're walking by faith and you're going to be thinking, I have no idea what I'm doing. God, I have no clue what I'm doing. And, and sometimes, sometimes you, can, you can think that there are people in the church who always know what they're doing, always have their I's dotted and T's crossed, always live with this total confidence that they never do anything wrong. And I don't know who those people are, but I'm not one of them. I mean, we're in the place all the time where it's like, okay, we have no idea what we're doing here. But what we do know is that as we've heard from our Father and as we're taking steps of obedience, we believe that he's going to come through. He's gonna come through. And this is what the Father did. He authenticated the calling of John. How did he authenticate it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. God authenticates your calling with his power the power of his Holy Spirit. When you say, I'm stepping forward in faith, God says, I will handle the rest. With his calling comes the enabling. And so today, there's a good percentage of people here today, and you're like, man, I, I, yes, amen, pastor. I believe that there's a calling on my life. And not only was God determining me to be a son or a daughter, but this but he had a determination for this calling as well. And you're like, yeah, I want to be courageous. I want to listen to the Father. But then part of you is like, but, but, but I look at myself and I think, man. I'm pretty messed up. I don't have a lot to bring to the table. You know, you spend time, instead of setting your mind on God, you start looking inward. You're like, well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not influential enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't have enough Bible knowledge. I don't really have the experience. And pretty soon, you know what that's like? That's a vortex, right? That's a vortex that sucks you down. And pretty soon, instead of walking by faith, you're, you're doubting. You're doubting that God is even able to do anything in your life. And then you start comparing yourself to other people. You're like, well, I'm not him or I'm not her. And I just would say to you today, what, what does that have to do with anything? What does your calling from God have to do with him? What does your calling from God have to do with her? If God has called you, he will enable you. If God has called you, he will empower you. There are miracles. Look, you can sit here all day long and, and respond to me saying, hey, don't you want to experience a miracle in your life? Yeah, <laughs> you know that's a setup. And, and you can say that. You can say yes, but, but the question is, are you going to get out of the boat? Are you going to get out of the boat? Are you going to be the one that takes a step and, and, and looks at the water and says, hey, look at, you know, everything from a logical perspective says that I'm going to sink. But I'm going to take a step believing that your hand is underneath me and that you are going to provide. And in my inadequacy, you're going to work a miracle. And I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to walk through this situation by faith, believing. And as I do, I am expecting you, God, because you challenge me to live with this kind of faith. I'm going to expect that you are going to come through because it's impossible for you to fail. It's impossible for you to fail. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I wanna speak that as a word over your life today. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. John goes from, this is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, to this one, was the one I told you has a higher rank than me because he was before me. And then he goes like the top, the apex. This is the son of God. Now, yeah, now listen. 
listen, John at the end of his life, John at the end of his life struggled. He struggled with faith. You know, he was in prison for speaking out against the political leader of the time and challenging him with his immorality. He ends up in prison, and as he is hearing from prison, he's like, wait a minute, this Jesus is not fulfilling what I expected from the Messiah. And so John has two disciples go to Jesus, and he says, hey, when you see him, say to him, are you the one we've been waiting for, or do we look for another? Like, I want you to think about this. What has John experienced? Like he has heard the voice of the Father, and yet in all of that, there was still a struggle. Brothers and sisters, whenever you take steps of faith, it doesn't mean the struggle's gonna go away. It does not mean the struggle's gonna go away, but you choose to be faithful in the midst of the struggle. And, and so the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus says, you go back and you tell John, the, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news of the gospel is preached. You go tell him that right? You go tell him that. And then you also tell him, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Let's choose. We can talk about awakening all day long. We can amen in this nice, and I love it, don't get me wrong, the louder the better. We can amen uh, all day long in this nice, comfortable setting where we're in agreement with our brothers and sisters. But when we get out those doors, when we get out those doors, and we're working in the casino or we're running our business or we're, we're dealing with someone who's really, really, really difficult, that's the moment that the king and the kingdom should radiate through our lives. And then that's when awakening comes. Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh God, thank you. We love you and you've spoken to us and this is your word for us today. Activate this church. God, activate this church. We will not live lives where we are just playing games with you. And God, that means we are willing to receive anything that you have for us. Shake us up, God. Shake us up and do a new work. Today as we're wrapping up in this moment, I believe there's just a, a call for us today as God has spoken to you, if you want to answer the call of God, the call that's, that says to us, says to you, can I get a witness? If you want to say, yes, Lord, I want that. I want to be your witness. I want to radiate the king and his kingdom. I want my life to shine like a bright light for you. I want to be filled with courage I want to have the confidence that I'm walking in your will. Today, I want you to authenticate steps of faith with the power of your spirit. Today, if you are willing to stand and say, that's what you want in your life, you say to the Father, I am here to be a witness to your son. I want to be like the prophet Isaiah as you said, who will go for us? He said, here am I, send me. Today, if you want to be a witness in this regard, I want you to stand this morning. Open your heart up to what the Holy Spirit has for you. No more closing the door. No more living in the secure, safe place. No more untouched areas in your heart and in your mind. But together, we give ourselves to the Father today. Is there anybody else? God bless all of you who stand it. Anybody else? This is the place where the spiritual battle can rage. And, and even in church, because you know the devil does show up at church. And you can be sitting in the seat and 
and your heart can be beating and you can be thinking, God, I know that's me. And at the same time, your flesh and the adversary stands against this, stands against what God wants to do, wants you to live in the place of bondage, wants you to remain fettered, chained, wants you to continue to look inward instead of upward. Today, you need to shut that voice off and you need to stand and give yourself wholly and fully to the Lord. Father, we come to you as your people and we pray, God, meet us in this place. Meet us in this place. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon our lives. Fill us to overflowing. We pray that you would break the chains of fear. We pray, God, that you would set us free from doubt. We pray that you would help us, God, enable us to stop looking inward and that we would begin to set our eyes on you and you alone. God, we pray for miracles. We pray, God, for supernatural works. We pray, God, for an awareness of those divine appointments that you give us, that we would stop saying no and we would start taking steps of faith. God, we pray for influence in the lives of our friends and our families, God, our coworkers, the people who work for us. God, may your light emanate from this moment and transform and change our families, our friends, our cities, and this world. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you would exalt your son high above every principality and power, things on heaven and things on the earth, and that lives would know the depth of love that he has for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.